Welcome back, Literary Slummers, to another episode of Shelf Aware, the podcast where we read books outside of our comfort zone. I emphasize that for a reason unbeknownst to our listeners. I'm Anna. <laughs> I'm Em. This week on Shelf Aware, it's Christmas time. Yeah. Which you know what that means here? It means we read a book Boo. in the Christmas Shoes series. It's Christmas Shoes number three, The Christmas Hope by Why Donna Van Leer. Why have we doing this for three years, first of all? <laughs> first of all, the day that you discovered this was a book series is the worst day of my life. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> so what do you think of this oh, book, Anna? God. Oh, my God, how many mothers must die at Christmas <laughs> before sh- the shoes are satisfied? I don't understand. They crave blood. <laughs> they crave the maternal sacrifice. It's the only way. <laughs> oh my God. All right, for some context, for those of you who haven't listened to our entire back catalog, <laughs> the Christmas shoes is a song. A lot of people know it. Not everyone does. I talked to someone in the last couple of days who didn't, who wasn't aware of it as a song, oh and I got God. to introduce them to it. I wish I could be that. No way. You introduced them to it? Of course I did. Oh, evil. Pure evil. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it's a song where a sad boy's mother is dying, and he buys some shoes, mm-hmm. but he's poor, and he can't afford the shoes, so a rich man buys the shoes, and that's how the rich man remembers God is good and love is love. Yeah, because he's a lawyer, and all lawyers are evil. But- it's also a book and also a TV movie with Rob Lowe, but we haven't watched the movie. Maybe one day we will. Stop. We don't, don't bring that evil into this world. <laughs> if we ever make a Patreon and people subscribe to our Patreon, then yes, we will do that episode. <laughs> Until then. But uh, it is it is a book series. And Donna Van Leary, who I believe has only written this book series, um, don't fact check me on that. She wrote that and it did well. So she was like, I'm going to keep riding this gravy train, baby. I'm so she has written millions of these books. We're on the third one. Uh, the second one is called The Christmas Something Else. This one's called know. The Christmas Hope. Yeah. Um, the second one follows Nathan, who's the little boy in Christmas shoes, yeah. as he becomes a doctor and falls in love with a sad dying girl. Um, Who doesn't end up dying because the little boy dies in her place. Yes. Oh, so, know. you know, good times mm-hmm. were had by all. This one, we were unsure if it would connect to the rest of the series, and it certainly does. Yeah, don't worry. Nathan is still here, still kicking, still a doctor, (laughs) living his charmed life. Still being just the best boy. The thing, I hated Mm -hmm. hated this book because it does, like, (laughs) different perspectives, but mm-hmm. it, which is fine. Normally it's fine. But they switch. The perspectives switch like mid chapter, but also like the POV changes to be like yes. first person to third person. And I don't like that. It's jarring. I think that can be done well if it is done like in some sort of way that makes sense literarily, mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, the first person perspective is someone like gathering the chronicles or whatever. But that's not what's happening here. It's just like, there's someone doing first person for most of this story and then the author realized that like she would have absolutely no access to other parts of the story that were necessary Mm -hmm. so those are just randomly here in third person and it's like why don't you just make those also first person I don't understand but just a different first (laughs) person or at the beginning of a new chapter like yeah at least at the very least (laughs) instead of like the character is like I talked to the nice doctor and he told me xyz and then like the next paragraph is like that nice doctor Nathan thought about the things he had just talked about with what's her name and then it's like after that it's like what's her name goes back to living her sad life hating christmas like (laughs) i don't know i just don't like the tesla's the tent shifting i don't like any of this book um there's my spoiler this book was awful and it's like to me a very insidious terrible awful evil feeling emanating from these Mm -hmm. christmas hope books yeah um because like on the surface level, this book is could be seen by some people to be an inspirational work of fiction, feel-good bullshit at the holidays. But when you're reading it closely, like we do most books for this podcast so closely because we are scientists. Professionals. Yes. Yes, that's what, that's what people who read books are. Scientists. scientists. We're all scientists. <laughs> Everything is Everything a science. Everything is a science. Yes. I learned that from Ada Twist. We... 
you just pick up on things that are like almost just unconscious messaging to the readers about like, this is what is right and good. And if you are not like this, you are a bad person who's going to hell. And it's just like gross. It leaves you feeling gross and <laughs> icky if you are not of a certain persuasion, perhaps. I don't know. Like, mm, lots, I, I don't know of... what you're talking about. I had absolutely no problems with this book. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> so much like unnecessary fat shaming so much like (laughs) misogyny like this woman's marriage is falling apart because the woman doesn't want to do anything about it like so much shaming of people who go through a divorce in the first place it's just like Mm -hmm. "Mm, stop it stop being this way my favorite thing in this book that was just like oh this culture is very different from my culture that Mm -hmm. I like exist in was I mean like obviously like both American white American culture but like the the religious the loudly sort of, religious like loudly religious yeah. yeah we'll go with that was like how much they called things beautiful Speci- like they called that little girl beautiful like basically uh, every lot. time anyone met her they called like random women beautiful they called like other little babies beautiful i'm like y'all they need to come up with a much. new yeah. adjective it's not even just that i'm like annoyed that you're valuing women based on their looks above all else it's that it's like really repetitive yeah yeah <laughs> you're just such a the most beautiful girl i've ever met you're so nice and beautiful i'm glad your mom died so you could spend this holiday with me it was the best i've ever had <laughs> All right, so there's obviously a lot to talk about in this book. Um, Would we recommend this to anyone? No. (laughs) Cool, great. Um, (laughs) We thought it would be fun since this is our last, like, I think there might be another Animorphs before the end of the year, but this is our last, like, episode in which we recommend stuff to kind of do a roundup of the year where we just do our, our top threes for the year. Yeah. Well, I'm discounting Rebecca from my list because I've known that's my favorite. That's not like a new favorite for mm. me for this year. Um, I so my not make my tops <laughs> my top list. My first favorite that I'm going to talk about this year um, is also my most favorite. It's one of my favorite books of all time now, I believe. It's The Wisteria mm. Society of Lady Scoundrels mm. by India Holton. Enemies to lovers where they are actually enemies trying to kill each other. Delightful, like pirate fantasy women thieves like it's just it's a, it's so good so good everything anna could want in a book was put in this book for her <laughs> delivered to her doorstep loved it your turn my first one is one that i don't think i've recommended on the podcast but i might have i'm not sure i can't remember um no wait yeah i did it's the ghost bride by young shichu mm-hmm. uh it is again a very up my alley sort of book heavy romance but like not romancy romance like just yearning in the background (laughs) mysterious ghosts and weird paranormal stuff happening and also historical love that love that i think my next book that i'm gonna say was this is how you lose the time war by amal el motar Mm -hmm. and max gladstone um which i've i've suggested all these books on the podcast i'm sorry but um (laughs) i read this at the beginning towards the beginning of the year um where it is two rival agents and two different factions this is like a futuristic sci-fi they travel through time and they meet each other through time um and then fall in love and they write each other letters and like leave them in their little time streams in different ways and it's just, it's wonderful, sapphic romance, short novella, beautiful writing. It's been on my TBR forever. I need, need to get to on that it. one. It's so good. I know. Um, my number two, uh, I was going to save this one for last because I think it's my favorite one from this year. Mm-hmm. Um, but because you just mentioned this is how you lose the time war. And this is very similar to that, oh, The yeah. Space Between uh-huh. Worlds by yeah. Micaiah Johnson. I thought that this book was fucking fantastic. It is a sci-fi, but not like hard sci-fi multiverse travel in which like the way that mul- the multiverse works is that if you are alive in another uh, universe you can't travel to that universe without dying um, so this woman who's basically had a 
like all of her alternate selves have had terrible lives so she's died in most other worlds so she's been like employed to to like travel to these other worlds and stuff it was 100 percent up my alley um i love it so much um the third book i'm going to talk about is the wolf of oren yarrow by k.s vilioso which is the first book in a series of chronicles of the bitch queen it is about queen talien who she is estranged from her husband she's basically like he's left the kingdom and they've they've never spent like any time as a married couple as the king and queen of this land she gets a message from him and she goes to like reunite with him but then there's like assassination attempts and just all kinds of like scheming and machinations and it's very good i haven't i haven't finished or picked up the next two books it is a completed series but in my defense they're all like 600 something pages long and i just have not been in the right headspace for epic fantasy on that level so (laughs) hoping to get to that in 2022 uh my final book and i was like looking through my goodreads and trying to decide top three and i have read so many good books this year like this has been a great year for reading guys that's wonderful um but the last one I'm going to put in my top three is The Empress of Salt and Fortune by Niveau. Mm-hmm. It's a novella. It's a quick read. If you guys haven't checked it out, you super should. I love it. It is, uh, every again, very, like, things that I love in literature. It's, you know, someone hearing a story from someone else and telling that story of, like, hearing the story. It's got some, you know, sapphic vibes, which holla. <laughs> And it's uh, political machinations. All great. Love that. Love that. Mm, uh, that for me good. and for the world. <laughs> for everyone. <laughs> well, cool. We have read good books this year. Even for the I podcast, know, right? we've read pretty decent yeah. books. I was looking back like we read Rebecca. We read the Book of Unknown Americans this year. Mm-hmm. The Twisted Ones was good. Cur- I think A Curious Beginning was this year, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, that yeah. book was wild. I love mm-hmm. that. Uh, All sorts of good stuff. Yeah. Man. Good what job. What a great year it's been. We good did job us. We did good. We did so good we this year, guys. We fulfilled the prompt of this podcast for once. <laughs> yes. <laughs> now let's talk about Christmas shoes. Okay. Oh, my God. No. <laughs> no. Let's talk about this other book I read uh, called Santa Claus nope, is Going stop. to Town on Me by Oh, my God. Maria which is a romance about a woman who fucks Santa Claus. Um that's listen. what I wanted to read for this episode, but M said we have a tradition, and I said no. Listen, we all want to fuck Santa Claus, but we can't. Bold we have statement. To suffer. <laughs> we have to suffer. This is what Christmas shoes has taught us: oh, that through true. suffering comes faith, or something. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mrs. Claus had died in that book, though, so there was some Sad. suffering. So there was some there suffering. Was some You're right. <laughs> oh my God. All right, we're here. We're here talking about the Christmas hope. So the book starts, as all my favorite books start, with a prologue, unnecessary prologue. Basically, the main character, whose name is Patricia, mm-hmm. she's kind of like, she's just remembering shit. This is, she's like, wow, remember how I used to really hate Christmas? Never thought I would learn to love Christmas again. This was the worst type of prologue. And I know you hate prologues in general, but like I feel like prologues can be used to like kind of the stuff we talked about. Like I think it works if it's a scene that the viewpoint character doesn't know about Mm. or, you know, something like that where it it's enough out of the narrative but still important to make the narrative make sense, you know? Mm -hmm. Like that sort of stuff. I feel like that works. But this is just the worst where it was just the character ruminating on the moral of the story. And I'm like you're not supposed to just tell us this at the beginning of the book, though. <laughs> yeah. My joy was gone. Happiness was a memory. And there was no reason to celebrate Christmas because there was no hope. At least that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay, Patricia. So then we start the book um, one year earlier to that rumination. Patricia's a social worker. Um, it is the holiday season. Things are sad. Patricia is a bad social worker. Yeah. <laughs> she. <laughs> I want to talk about this. I'm sorry. Please do. No, go ahead. I You talk about the book. I don't want to talk about the book. Yes. Fantastic. So very early on, we get this um, scene where Patricia is going to pick up a young boy named Justin, whose mother uh, had to go to rehab. Oh my God. Um, so I felt like reading this, I was like, 
this seems terrible the way she's handling this. Um, but I also am not in the fo- like I'm not uh, involved in the foster system. I'm not you know in social work. But I've got a friend who is. Mm-hmm. who used to work in uh, the foster system. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I sent her <laughs> screenshots of this fucking book, and she said, um, gross. <laughs> <laughs> to which I responded, could you pinpoint what is gross? And she sent me a incredibly long uh, response, which I'm going to uh, read. I'll read the whole thing. I might cut some of it down. But um, thank you, Mary, very much for answering this question for me. <laughs> Yay, Mary. She said, sure. A, this worker has not great boundaries. Do not be touching their faces that way and squeezing them, especially because if you're alone with children, physical touch should be limited. Girl, she kisses these kids at some point. Yes, she does. Um, B, due to trauma, all that touching could be misperceived and or Mm -hmm. make kids uncomfortable and they might not know they can say it or feel it. C, yes, there are times parents relapse, but I mean, it seems very blanket statement like to say they couldn't resist the temptations when they're not acknowledging the trauma and and abuse they could be facing. D, I don't love how she seems to portray parents who do relapse as weak, basically. It's not a matter of strength. It's a matter of mental health and the nuances that come with it. E, kids often are actually worried to go home, even if they want to go home. They've likely endured trauma before they were removed. The removal process is also traumatic. And this worker making promises like she is changed and that won't happen is setting this kid up to see his Mm -hmm. parents' failures if something goes wrong again. F, because she should say, like, I know you're worried. It's been really hard for your family, but your mom may have had different resources or support systems now to help her keep you at home if it does go wrong again i'll do my best to continue to be here for you you're not alone foster care is a trauma it's a it's a necessity but it's traumatic and these kids deserve adults who understand and respect boundaries they deserve safe adults and those trusted safe adults need to make sure they talk realistically with these kids because these kids deserve truth which means not making false promises a parent's stability can be compromised by so many factors that they don't have control over so i mean it's just a lot and there's so many nuances to it yeah Oh, my God. Uh, yes, I, I felt like that was an excellent breakdown of the stuff that was gross in this book. Mm-hmm. Constantly. <laughs> she's she, Every child that she that she tries to help in this book, it is the same things over and over and over again. Like, yes, I also thought the touching, especially the kissing on the forehead and stuff mm-hmm. was very out of line. There are absolutely no boundaries uh, followed in this book between uh, this social worker and these children. And I understand that it probably is very difficult as a social worker to, you know, have to enforce these boundaries with with children. But also like, yes, you need to enforce these boundaries because in a lot of cases, these kids have had boundaries crossed many, many times mm-hmm. and they need to learn, you know, what healthy boundaries are. Oh, my God. My my least favorite part about this interaction with Justin and um, Patricia is when we get to when we when Justin and his mother are reunited. Oh, I know exactly yes, what you're going to say. We discover <laughs> that their last name is Ramirez and the mother begins to speak to Justin in Spanish. And the main character says, no fair, English only. For all I know, you're criticizing my outfit or my hair and that would just ruin the rest of my day. Excuse me? This Yikes. is not first of all, this is not about you. Secondly, you can't tell someone what language they can speak in their own home. Can you imagine you are going through addiction treatment? You are finally reunited with your son who you haven't seen in months and you start talking to them in Spanish, which is your native language that you both speak. Mm-hmm. And some bitch is like I don't want you to be talking about my hair. Like, bitch, I think they have other things to talk it's about. It's not about you, Patricia. It's not about you. And I thought, because the way Christmas Shoes works, the series works, is that usually there's a character who is like, needs to learn a lesson about Christmas. And usually it's like, don't work so hard at Christmas. Mm-hmm. Or like, don't let don't, your mom die at Christmas. Don't let your mom die at Christmas. Right. But So I was like, I don't know, maybe this is being set up for, like, this is the thing that Patricia needs to learn is to, like, not be a shithead. But no, of course it wasn't. No, that wasn't she, it at all. She, she is 100% justified by this book in doing all of the things that she does yes. to these children and their families. Yes. And I'm like. It's very <sighs> gross that this is just the way it is written, like, so naturally. Like, this, this to somebody, and by somebody, I mean the author of this book, felt like the most normal, mm-hmm. okay thing to include yeah. like there's no contemplation about it. she's like this is how everyone thinks right no like, it's totally fine that i told him to stop speaking spanish right no. this is fine no oh my god um so 
that's Patricia. She and her husband, Mark, are having difficulties in their marriage because four years ago at Christmas, this getting ahead, don't care. Want to be done with this book? You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> Four years you, ago, you work through the trauma of this book in whatever way you need. Thank you. Thank you. God. Um, four years ago at Christmas, their son Sean passed away as he was driving home from college on Christmas Eve because for some reason, the university he was going to had classes all the way up until December 23rd, um, and then he was going to stay until Christmas Eve to help a professor set up the lab. Like. Okay, sure he was. And then there was like, a, he was 100% fucking a girl or something. But, um, <laughs> he just did not want to go home to his hyper-religious family. Yes, there was this part where his, um, where Patricia's like, because he originally was going to come home on the 23rd because his dad was going to be home from work. His dad is a pilot. His dad was going to be home on the 23rd as well, but then his dad was working till the 24th. So he was like, well, I'm not going to bother. You know, I'll, I'll come home on the 24th if, you know, like dad's not going yeah, I don't want to spend time with and, you by yourself. By yourself. Right. And Patricia was like, there's one line in the book where she's like, I blamed Mark for mm-hmm. um, the fact that he didn't come home on the 23rd and he came home on the 24th and because daddy died. Right. Yes. But then that's never brought up again or discussed or resolved in no, any way. No. And I'm like, that seems like a thing you need to work through, Trish. You should have told that to What's your up? therapist who you said couldn't, like, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> Therapy doesn't work. Therapy you know doesn't that. work. It's all fake science mumbo jumbo. Oh, my God. All you need to do is pray about it. The only thing that works is praying. Oh, my God. We all know. So, yeah, they basically Mark has put all of his things in boxes and he's like, he has said, I can't live like this. And they sleep in different bedrooms and he's like packed all his stuff up as if he's ready to leave any day. But for some reason, he has not moved out, maybe because it's Christmas time. And for some reason, this book makes a huge deal out of how just nothing can happen at Christmas except celebrating Christmas. You cannot. What are you talking about? Having like regular life things happen around Christmas time. That's not. I feel like it would have been so easy to make that make sense, too, by just being, like, having him have some line about, like, he doesn't want to move out on the anniversary of Sean's death. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, you could do that. Or, like, nobody's renting apartments the week between Christmas and New Year's because that's probably a real thing. There's probably not a lot of people in the offices. I don't know. I mean, we did have that logistical issue being a point in this book with the lawyers yeah so, I mean yeah so it very very easily could have been written in but so Mark is just sticking around the house um and they, they don't even really talk to each other or anything anymore he works this weird shift where he gets up and leaves the house like 4 30 a.m and doesn't come back until the next like the like 48 hours or 36 hours later I don't know how time works but yeah he does a lot of like overnight flights that require him to be gone for long periods of time um Patricia has a coworker named Roy who is like an older black man and he is he's he's that character that you know you know you know the stereotype of like the one with the wise words and also he has melanin in his skin you know I mean didn't Nathan also have the one black friend in the last yes, book? Absolutely. Like this is a thing. This is a trend. Yep. So Patricia repays Roy with all his kindness by eating swiping a donut off of his desk, like stealing oh my his God. food. And this is <laughs> I just I just need to paint a picture about how terrible Patricia is. I noticed a donut sitting on Roy's desk across the aisle from me, and I rolled over in my chair and swiped it, taking a bite. I didn't think of it as stealing. I thought of it as doing him a favor. His cholesterol was up and he had no business eating a greasy donut. I heard his voice and pushed the last of the donut into my mouth. And then she proceeds to gaslight him where he's like, I thought I had a donut here. And she was like, no, there wasn't any donut. And he's like, wow, I'll just go get another. And she's like, no, there's no more. <laughs> okay. I think I think this scene could have worked. Like you can have like an office friendship where you steal each other's food and whatever and like, you know, rub each other, that sort of thing. But the fact that she A was like Mm, his cholesterol's up. Need to save him from himself. Again, it's this nice white lady thing of like, I'm just saving everyone. Right. Like, I'm just here to help everybody and save everyone. And it's not that, like, the donut is the kid, right? The donut yes. is the kid where she's just like, I'm here to help the donut and Roy. And it's not <laughs> that I want to eat the donut. It's that I'm trying I to help I have to bear them. this burden for all my friends. Right. And it's like, 
No, you want the thing and you're just trying to make an excuse because you have been socialized to think that women aren't allowed to want things. So you have to come up with excuses as to why you're like, oh, it's not that I want to eat a donut. It's that I'm trying to help someone. It's like, nah, bitch, just eat the donut. Eat the donut. Just say you stole his donut and you liked it. Like, I mean, (laughs) money is clearly not an issue for this couple. So I don't know why she didn't go out and buy herself a donut if she wanted that. (laughs) I just, but I mean, like, I get like, I feel like that is if, you know, to show a friendship thing of like, oh, I saw we you have a donut this and kind of relationship. To, right. We exactly. Play. Where you kind of rib each other. But yeah. it's like, that's not what this is. You're just. We have fun here at work. You just have no boundaries. You have no boundaries. Trish. You don't know. You... Mm. Yeah, it is very much that type of that type of woman. Um, Roy tells Patricia about, hey, I have to. We have to go pick up this baby from this house because the teenage mother sold drugs to an undercover cop and now she's probably going to go to jail for a really long time. So we have to go pick up her beautiful 10-month-old daughter and put her in a foster home. And so they go to do that. They go pick up this baby Mia and they drop her off with some family. I'm only mentioning this now because Mia does not. She just She's in this book, the whole book. Everything is about Mia and the other child. It just, Okay. <laughs> Um, um, and also in this section, we get like Roy, Roy and, um, Patricia and Mia all go to a diner, like on the way to the foster home. Um, and they, he talks to her about her relationship with Mark. Um, and, and everyone is so like in their business about like, you have to make this work. Like, don't give up on this marriage you can't like don't become one of those women yes don't admit defeat you have to fight for your man and it's never like well hey like what's mark doing to make this situation better for you guys oh he's working all the time okay <laughs> also you don't you don't have like i feel like this is such i the divorce thing has come up in these books before mm-hmm. so forgive me if you're listening to these episodes back to back and why i'm harping on the same that? point why are you doing <laughs> please take <laughs> a break also- from the christmas shoes <laughs> <laughs> also more power to you um, get those numbers up for us thank you <laughs> it's like this idea of like divorce is a failure and it's just ugh. I get that that is the vibe with um certain religious you know folks that yeah getting a divorce is admitting a failure right that you know you you're supposed to be married forever whatever but it's just like People change, man. People change mm-hmm. and shit happens. And sometimes the person that you thought you were going to be with forever is not the person that you ended up with. And it's okay to be like, hey, we want different things out of life now. Or, hey, our son died and it was incredibly traumatic yeah. and we're grieving it in very different ways. And we are not able to help each other through this process and are, in fact, hurting each mm-hmm. other by f- trying to make something work that doesn't work. And we need to go our separate ways in order to heal. Like, that's fine and the fact that this book is like no dig your teeth dig your teeth in further you won't be happy unless you have the perfect nuclear family i feel like this whole thing is like when you play with a dog and you try to take the toy to throw it and they like just keep digging in further and further and further and further and then it's like you finally like like you lose interest in it and Uh then the dog is like Oh, I didn't but, want this in the first yeah, place. This isn't fun like, anymore. You know? Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of dogs, Patricia and Mark have a dog and its name is Girl. So that's terrible. That's very terrible. Like the fact that this was an authorial <laughs> choice to name this dog Girl. That's bad and you should feel bad. Like the, that is like Manic Pixie Dream Girl energy and it does not fit this book. <laughs> <laughs> so weird. Such a weird choice. <laughs> You could have named this dog anything. This and- is our dog, Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with me. <laughs> it's a mouthful. You call her Mary. This is our dog, Christmas Shoes. <laughs> this is our dog, Children's Choir. Um, anyway. <laughs> so the next thing that happens is some time passes. Patricia receives a phone call from one of her foster family saying, hey, you know, we are... We have this girl that you've um, homed with us, or is that the proper terminology? I'm not placed. I think placed. Thank y'all. Yes, we have this girl that you've placed with us, um, 
But we have a family emergency that will require us to leave town. And we don't want to frighten Emily with this because, oh, the girl's name is Emily. We don't want to frighten the girl with this because it involves possibly like the death of a family member. So like, is there something that you can do? Like, can you come pick Emily up and place her with another family temporarily until we get back? Um, And Patricia's like, yeah, okay. And we get like this tragic backstory of what happened with Emily. She's a five-year-old girl. Um, and she lived alone with her mom. They were never really sure who the dad was, didn't want to be involved. And like, they're kind of estranged from their other family members. So the mom doesn't have a lot of help raising Emily and is working a job that requires her to be, to work nights. And she has like a neighbor that's very nice and comes over and watches Emily. But one night the old lady that helped wasn't able to watch Emily. And so the mom was like setting up Emily, five-year-old girl to stay home by herself, Um, And she was, you know, late for work. And as she was rushing to work, she gets into an accident and dies. And um, Emily, they like the the police show up and Emily doesn't want to answer the door, but I guess is eventually like convinced to. And she tells the police that it was okay because someone was holding her hand. So she wasn't scared during that time. And they're all like, well, who was over here? But, you know, it's like talking to a five year old. You're not going to get a straight answer. Um, So. Guys, guess what? Spoiler alert. It was probably like an angel or Jesus or whatever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, the way angels do. Yeah. So Patricia goes to pick up this girl, Emily, and cannot find a foster family for her at this like last moment before Christmas. So. um, So she kidnaps a child. Yes. Patricia takes Emily home to stay with her, even though legally she is not allowed to do that. Um, she was like going to drop her off at, at, at a, like a group home, a group foster home. But when she pulled up, she's like, no, this is too sad to do to a girl who just lost her mother before Christmas. So I'm going to take her home with me. It's just going to be for one night. But guess what guys? It wasn't just for one night. It was for five nights. Um, they make this like weird point about this of like, oh, there's a department policy that we're not allowed to take kids home. Yeah. Because one time someone did that and they fell down the stairs and got hurt. So they're worried about the kids getting hurt. It's like, no, I'm pretty sure they're just worried about you kidnapping kids, which is what you just did. You literally have no documentation of where this child is. She's left her foster home where she's supposed to be. And you told the paperwork or whoever that she was going to go to this group home. And instead you just took her home. The group home is like, where is she? And you were like, I dropped her off with someone else. Don't worry about it. Like, no documentation oh whatsoever. Oh Just don't even check. It's fine. I've kidnapped a child. This is fine. And she says, she's like, I might get fired. And I'm like, you might go to jail. I don't think you understand. This is a crime. Yes. Yes, absolutely. But you know what? There's no consequences because Christmas. No. Because Christmas. Don't worry, guys. I know you were really worried about Patricia's fate. I'm here to tell you you don't have to be. <laughs> she gets away Scott clean. Scott free. Either one. Clean as a whistle. Clean as a Scott. Clean as a Scott. (laughs) (laughs) So she takes Emily home. Uh, Various people kind of conspire together to bring Christmas to this house where they've obviously not been celebrating Christmas for the past four years because Sean died on Christmas Eve. So that kind of takes, you know, kind of takes the fun out of it. Kind of takes the fun out of it. Yeah. Yeah, just a bit. Yeah. So um, Roy comes over and he brings over a whole ass Christmas tree and Christmas decorations and wrapping paper. And he's like, you know, every kid loves to celebrate Christmas. So decorate this tree with her. And then, uh, you know, her mom comes over, who has also kind of been meddling with the marriage. And is like, oh, well, you guys should come to the living nativity with us as a family and blah, 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 blah. And even Mark, like as soon as he sees this little girl is kind of like devoted to her in a way like he just he it's kind of like oh mark was just missing having a child in the house and that's what he needed to get over the grieving process of having lost his son like he just needed to replace the son with a new child yes. for him to focus on yes which, weird okay emily is a replacement goldfish yes. it's very bizarre yes um mark like gets really into it he goes out and he buys a shit ton of presents like he drops a couple hundred dollars on Christmas gifts for this girl that is potentially only staying with them, you know, through the holiday, which is nice. I mean, it's not, I don't want, I don't want it to seem like that's a bad thing to give children things at Christmas, but like one is the child going to be able to take all these things with her from foster home to foster home. Um, 
And two, like, why, why, why so much? Like, I don't, she, you obviously know she didn't have a great, like, she didn't come from a wealthy family. So it's kind of like, I don't know, kind of like flexing in a way. <laughs> this is what Christmas is really supposed to be like. <laughs> they, they have this kind of vibe repeated over and over again of like, we're going to make Emily like this Christmas, even though she's so sad about her mom. <laughs> she's going to like it's this like, Christmas if it kills her. <laughs> like this is not a healthy way to deal with grief. No, no, they're just putting big band aids over everything. Have an easy bake oven. That'll make you feel better about your dead mom. Princess dress. You can have it. <laughs> um, and I mean, on like on the surface, it is sweet. You're trying to do something nice for a child at the holiday, their first Christmas without their mother. Like it could be, it could be sweet, but just the way that they do it is just like so over the top, like. And it becomes very much about the adults enjoying Emily. And like, yes. it's weird. This weird, it's a weird like, voyeuristic, like, yes, Christmas. like, we didn't even care that none of us had any gifts under the tree. No one noticed. We were all looking at Emily. I can't wait to watch her unwrap her presents. <laughs> like, what is happening? What is this happening? Uh, you guys could just done like a low key thing, but no, because everyone is like, everyone notices how Mark lights up with, with Emily around and he and Patricia seem to be talking again now that there's a child that they both have to like figure out logistics for. It's like, we should, we should all get together and force this into a thing. Right guys? Like this is going to be really good. Uh, you know what really fixes every broken relationship is bringing a small dependent Having into it. more kids. We know this is true. Just throw a child at it. That'll fix the problem. That'll fix the problem. <sighs> and then not only do they throw one child at it, they throw two children on it. Um, <laughs> so we come back to Mia. Um, em- Patricia has to go get Mia from the foster home where she's been placed and take her to the hospital because something bad is happening with this baby. They, they think maybe just a virus, but let's take her to the hospital, be sure. And the foster parents can't do it because they've got like other sick kids. That- so, so... Patricia's like, yeah, this is my job. I'll take the baby to the hospital. Don't worry about it. There's also this weird thing where the author, like, for the half a chapter before she goes to pick up this kid, she's like, everyone's vomiting everywhere. <laughs> Nathan has to go into work because the doctor's <laughs> vomiting. This child's vomiting. That child's I vomiting. hope no one else vomits. <laughs> I hope no one vomits. And then they take Mia into the hospital. And it's like, it's not the vomit disease? We thought certainly it would be the vomit disease. No, she needs like, heart she surgery. She, set- <laughs> she thought she was setting up this twist. And it's just like, girl, you can't just yell about vomit for 10 pages and be like, Christmas story about grief. <laughs> it did. It did take a weird turn. Um, yeah. So Mia's admitted to the hospital because she has to have heart surgery because her heart is too big. And guess who is her doctor? It is little Nathan Andrews of Christmas Shoes Lore. He is now grown up adult he wants man. wants to buy these shoes for his mama, please. <laughs> he can afford so many shoes now because he is a pediatrician. Yeah. Um, he, he and his wife, Megan, the girl who did not die in the previous book, are about to have their first child. Doesn't matter. Nathan's whole life in this book doesn't matter. He's... He, we had so much detail about him. I don't care anymore. Nathan's time is I done. I fully thought there were two different possibilities I had th- at different points. I thought Sean. was <laughs> No, I mean, um, I had two different predictions for how this book was going to turn out. And at the point that Nathan was introduced, what I thought was going to happen was that the baby him and Megan were having was going to be stillborn and they were going to adopt Emily. Mm, see, that would have been much more terrible but (laughs) than what we got though um i don't know i don't know because i think that if your baby dies and you immediately Uh, get a new kid that's also very replacement goldfish and not good for the kid that you just picked up (laughs) you could just fit into all these clothes we bought for the other baby (laughs) for the baby (laughs) um Nathan is the doctor the only reason Nathan exists in this story is because he was the doctor that told Patricia, Sean was dead, died on the operating table. So he got into a car accident where he, like, drove under another, like, a semi and was crushed. And they took him to the hospital. When Sean got to the hospital, he was very calm and very, like, accepting of whatever was going to happen to him because the angel was holding his hand or whatever. Um, Nathan was the one that had to tell Patricia that uh, Sean was dead, but conveniently because of different ways of coping, I guess, neither of them remembers who like 
Patricia does not remember the face of the person who told her the news, and Nathan does not remember the face of the first person he told relative had died, whatever. It was like a big momentous thing for him. Um, I just want to also highlight in the Sean dying thing. Mm-hmm. Let me find that section real quick. Hold on. Because it was very funny to me. <laughs> <laughs> She's like going to the hospital. They get to the hospital. Um, he, they're <laughs> having this conversation. The paramedics brought him here and he was conscious. He was able to talk to us. Okay. So like deathbed, what he's going to say on his deathbed, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, uh, wh- what did he say? What did he say? He told us his name and where he lived. Wow, that's really that's really helpful of this man who's just gone like such severe injuries that he's about to die on the operating yeah. table that he's like keeping it together enough for that. Yeah. And then and he said that you were home alone tonight waiting for him. Again, like this dude has just experienced something very traumatic, is actively dying yes. and is like my name is Sean Addison. I live 2218 uh, Pennsylvania Boulevard. And uh, my mom's ho- sitting home waiting for me, you know? It's Christmas. I-, I hope you guys can stitch up this hole in my stomach because my mom <laughs> my, is waiting for me. My whole body underneath, be- my below my neck is flat as a pancake, but I'm going to be out of here tomorrow, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? And then she, she cries a bit. And then he continues. Then he said that he wanted you and his dad to know that he always loved you. Always. Okay. All right. I mean, I guess that is a normal thing to say. Yeah. You know, tell your, yeah. your loved But again, just a lot of very coherent things from this man who is actively dying. Yes. And then she goes, is that all? You want more, <laughs> babe? What more could you goes, wring from his body? Because he wanted me to tell you to never stop loving the children. That's all. And I'm just picturing that how this actually went was she sitting there going like, um, oh, my God, what did my son say? And he's like, oh, well, you know, he told us his name and, and where he lived. And she's just kind of looking. And he's like, and that he was worried about you sitting home alone. And she just keeps looking and staring at him. <laughs> and he's, she's like, and he loved you? And Always your, your, your husband? And always would. <laughs> She's like, just is that it? Take care of the children. <laughs> did did that mean anything to you? Does that mean anything to you? Like, just desperately hoping that she. This is the first time he's had to tell someone that someone oh they love God. has died. He's just desperately coming up with things to say to her. Like, yeah, he really appreciated all the times you packed his lunch as a kid. Um. Like, <laughs> Uh, he left some some laundry at the dry cleaners if you want to go pick that up (laughs) (laughs) is any of this doing anything for you you? yeah are you still here (laughs) can i go now i have medicines to do thanks thanks there's lots of patients tonight (laughs) uh so yes we get we get that whole scene um Nathan also that night notices there's like a wrapped gift left behind and he puts it in his pocket thinking like, oh, I once, you know, once things calm down, I'll figure out who this belongs to. I'll make sure they get it. Spoiler alert. He doesn't do that. Four years pass. (laughs) Four years pass. He still has the present. Megan's like, you need to figure out what to do with this present. And Nathan's like, I'll just fucking throw it away. Except for he doesn't say the F word because he's very religious. And Megan's like, Mm -mm. and she secretly puts it in his pocket and so he like has it and he's like man I really should do something about this gift so he does like he he's like hey can you look in the records uh from four years ago and see who was at the hospital four years ago on Christmas Eve uh just give me all the names um I hope I hope someone wrote down like what belongings they brought in with them or something okay and his friend is like, no, that's dumb and a bad idea. And he's like, yeah, I guess I won't guess do I won't that. guess I won't do that then. Remain a mystery. <laughs> It'll be a mystery forever. It does work out, though, because he he discovers that, yes, this gift did, was from Sean to his mother. It was, it's, he drops it off at Patricia's house, like, early on Christmas morning on his way into work. And inside is a pocket watch because when Sean was a teenager, he broke this pocket watch that held so much meaning to Patricia 
um it was passed down from her great-grandfather and had so much meaning to her that we never like it was never mentioned in this book except for in the scene where he broke it that's how much meaning it held to her anyway it's a very big thing he got her a new watch or he somehow had it fixed i don't know and then it is like this letter that's like hey mom love you can't wait to spend so much time with you i'm gonna make more time for us so we can be a happy family and blah 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 love you always um and so that's like also just again the the vibe i'm getting from sean is just unnecessarily verbose at inappropriate for for a 19 year old son like yeah he he like the the fact that he kept saying shit when he was dying instead of being like ah dying oh my god it hurts um but then this letter which again is like Which is a, ouch, dang it. That one really, really rustled my gym. I'm dying at 19. Uh, this sucks. Uh, but the letter, it's, dear mom, you have always told me that the best Christmas gift I could ever give us is the one I couldn't wrap, the gift of time. That never made sense until I got older and saw how you gave your time to your kids and to dad and me. And I noticed that you never just gave your time at Christmas, mom. You gave it away every day, 24-7. At the very first Christmas, Angel said, I bring you good news of great joy No 9 year old dude has ever written like this. Come on. When I was little, you told me that the good news was that God loves everyone so much that he sent his son to live here. A lot of people don't know about God's love, but I, but I know about it every time you hug me how's that for mushy and every time i see you hug one of your kids i know they feel it too okay stop hugging the kids like there is another page after that guys there's a full another page and it's just like even if you're like writing a letter to your mom at christmas unless you are planning on being flattened by a semi-truck on the way home like there is no (laughs) way you would write that much yes it Who does it that? reads too much like this is my last letter to you for it yes. to not be planned it is very weird weird vibes now can i tell you the other thing that i thought was going to be the twist with this okay book? yes i thought because we know that emily like it's brought up a couple times that like Emily's mom never told anybody who the father was and nobody knows who the dad was i thought the present was going to be sean's um, like a letter from Sean and like a paternity test and he was going to be Emily's dad. Wait. <laughs> and then they would... I I, because, okay. They would was... never have that out of wedlock situation. I mean, I know, but also it would be way better. It would have been. It would have been got. real juicy. Like, I would have liked this book right? if it had been that right? way. If it was like, Sean was like, well, mom, I need to tell you something. It turns out that you're grandma. And then they're like, oh, my God, Emily's our granddaughter. It would be like, okay, well, you have some sort of relationship with this child, some blood relationship. Yes, that makes it acceptable for you to have just stolen it. I mean, it's still not acceptable, but, you know, at least a little bit more. And I feel like that would be like the natural, like, oh, we're getting over Sean by raising his child and they're still a part of him, which is also gross. But, like, Mm -hmm. it's. I feel like it would have fit more. <laughs> <laughs> Can't have that in our good, wholesome, inspirational Christmas fiction, That's though. That's true. There is so much of that, right? Of, like, there are the good Christian people who do good Christian things, and then, like, everybody else who, like, do terrible things. <laughs> like, like not. I'm not saying, you know, that... You're a terrible person if you have an addiction or whatever. But this book this very, very much book, seems yeah. to like the book is like you are have that vibe. You're weak and awful. Um, you can maybe fix it someday, but you don't deserve your kids until and, yeah, then. Yeah, and like, there's also this thing of, uh, like, if you just pray hard enough, things will be fixed, right? Because we hear this from from Emily's mom, because we get, or not Emily's mom, uh, Patricia's mm-hmm. mom, because we get a little bit of a backstory with Patricia and like her mom and growing up, her mom, the dad stole a bunch of money and left mm-hmm. and um, they were like in debt to like a whole bunch of people and they went to church and the people at church like gave them a bunch of money. Yes. And so that fixed it and it was great. Um, and Patricia's mom is like, you just need to pray. That's what happened with us. We just prayed really hard. I'm like, no, that's not no. what happened with yeah. you. People decided to give you money. Mm-hmm. And also you she's worked like, oh. very hard yourself. Like, please don't yeah. discount that. Because she's she says something like, oh, other people's prayers are what saved us. And I'm like, no, other people's money <laughs> is what saved you, baby. Like, <laughs> prayers aren't going to put a turkey in the oven for Christmas, boo-boo. Like, <laughs> 
<laughs> oh, it's just so like disconnected and like dis dis. I don't know. Good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And that's just how it is, right? It's also very much the vibe of like um, certain political, religious kind of affiliations where it's like, well, we should just let the communities take care of each other. You know, we don't need the government to, we don't need this foster system to interfere and have all of these rules. We can handle it ourselves. Mm -hmm. (sighs) We should have systems in place to help people, give them resources so that they can handle things. Thank you. We should have guidelines so children don't get kidnapped. Oh my God. <laughs> Wild. Anyway, uh, the whole thing with Emily gets resolved because at some point, Mark and Patricia are like, what if we became real foster parents and not just imaginary kidnapping people? <laughs> um, and Patricia's like, we can't. It takes three months to become foster parents, and there's no way that we can shorten that time frame. So Emily would have to go live with someone else for three months before she could come back to us. But they f- And that would be the worst thing. And that would be so bad. It would be so the bad to wait thing. and do things the right way. We have, to, we have to come up with a Christmas miracle. So the day after Christmas, they, they figure out some loophole where – the brother okay so um, it's not even a loophole it's not a loophole it's that patricia didn't do the paperwork yeah correctly patricia the didn't first do things correctly she didn't check to see who the legal guardian was she like she asked a bunch just of took family members the foster system like she asked a bunch of family members like hey can you take this kid and they were all like no and she didn't figure out which of which one of them was if any was designated as the legal guardian yeah. and it's like hey turns out one was it was the brother he's the legal guardian of this child mm-hmm. and like nobody checked on this. Great. And and the brother's like, look at my home. It's a mess. I cannot possibly raise a child here. I work nights and I there's empty beer cans everywhere. How can I raise a child? And they're like, okay, sign over your legal guardianship to me, Patricia. And he's like, all right, whatever. So this is also very reminiscent of a real thing that happens. And uh, there was recently a, a report published or like uh, an article published about this referred to as the the shadow foster system Mm -hmm. where like basically uh because foster care is overstrapped and um don't doesn't have the resources that it needs a lot of times um especially in like rural communities uh social workers will just get the legal guardian to agree to sign over legal guardianship to someone else so that it they don't have to actually go through the foster care system and it's super fucked and can lead to very bad outcomes for the people involved yikes so i'm i'm glad that this book did that and was just like isn't it great method isn't it good to not do things the correct way it's good guys actually so they need a they need a lawyer to officially okay this. And guess what lawyer they find? That's right, Robert Layton from the first so Christmas he wants shoes to buy book. Some He's shoes. the one that bought the shoes. It's him. He's the one that bought the shoes. He bought the shoes. He also, I think, was in the second book because he like talked to Nathan or at something, the grave. But I, I think. can't remember. Yeah, yeah something. something. Who cares? Something. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Um, they get all the paperwork signed over and then they do this like really cruel thing with Emily where they say, okay, it's time to take you to your, your next foster home. Um, and they drive her all around town and then finally pull back up in front of their house and they're like, do you think this could be your new foster home? That's fucked up. That's so fucked up. Like the the characterization of Emily has been basically sweet angel girl, beautiful, beautiful angel girl, beautiful sweet angel girl, um, and also terrified of having to leave places. Like every interaction she has is like, please, please, may I stay here? May I stay here? In I love this place. I love this home. You guys are rich. I can tell. Even even aside from them, like when she's you know in her original home, she's like, please, I don't want to leave this house. Please, 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 let me stay here. I mean, I'm sure it's like a trim. She's five. She's, she's five. five. Why would you play these games with a five-year-old? Terrible, terrible. Um, so they do that, and she becomes their child. And they eventually end up adopting her officially, and they also adopt Mia because Emily loved her. <laughs> so that's a sound life decision, right there. And also, then uh, Patricia quits. And her Patricia job quits her job just... to raise these kids. Okay. All right. Mark continues to work overnight shifts as a pilot, whatever. Like, if we are to accept that 
Patricia is this good social worker, which she's not, but whatever, let's pretend that we agree with the book and that she is. And like her son's dying wish was that she continue taking care of kids. And she's like, well, I got these two. Got That's mine. Fuck kids. y'all. They're my new kids. My kids, just mine. The, these are my new kids. <laughs> like the, um, and I mean, like this is an issue in general with like foster and adoption of like most adopt- adoptees will say like, you should not look into adoption unless you are your motivation is that you want to provide a home for kids right right? like it should not be you're trying to fix your family or you're trying you can't have biological kids and so you you know you want to adopt a kid because you can't have one of your own like anything that is motivated through your own self instead of like a desire to help a child is going to lead to complications if that child does not turn out to be the perfect little angel that you wished Mm -hmm, for right mm -hmm. and this whole thing just so much smacks of that of like oh i've found these children to fix me and to make my christmas good my marriage good yes they fixed my marriage thank you children you did your job and so i will shower you with presents i guess which i mean okay We'll give right. them the benefit like, of the doubt. Let's say let's say they are truly good to the kids and they're having a good like this can't this isn't a permanent fix. Like there is gonna be a time when because you do not know how to communicate with your husband, things are gonna fall apart again. Yeah. And these kids are gonna be caught in the crossfire. It's just There also was that moment when they were talking about like Emily being in the house at first and they were like, Oh my gosh, a child in the house. There hasn't been a child in this since house. Since Sean. Uh, since Sean since Sean died. And I was like, no, there hasn't been a child in this house since Sean moved out. Yeah. Guys, like he didn't live there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> since Sean outgrew his childhood stage. Also, I would yes. argue like. <laughs> oh, frustrating. And then the book ends with a wonderful rape culture send off where Patricia's brother who's not been mentioned the entire rest of the book comes and he's like, Hey, Emily, since I'm officially your uncle, that means I need a kiss. Can I have a kiss? Emily says no. He says, you won't give me a kiss? If you won't give me a kiss, then I'll have to steal one from you. (sighs) Neat. I hate it here. I hate it here so much. Um, Also, Nathan has his baby. No one gives a shit. (laughs) 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 It's a girl. He wanted a boy. He wanted a boy so bad, but it's a girl. He wanted a boy, and his proof that it was a boy was that it reacted while they were watching football. So and his wife, was, and he was like, "See, it's clearly a football fan." And I'm like, "All right, girls, can follow also that be thought." <laughs> Not this girl, but some of them, I'm sure. Oh boy! Well, we've done it. That was Another it. year in the books. Check back in next year for the Christmas promise. I'll be dead. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But before we get to that, we got to talk about what's coming up next. So next week, we will be back with another Morphs Monday with Animorphs number 53, The Answer. Oh, my God. It's so good. Um, so the week after that, we will be wrapping up our MLM or MM Paranormal Romance unit Mm -hmm. with the novel Wittershins by Jordan L. Hawk. Yes. In the meantime, if you have any books or units you would like for us to cover on the podcast, either because you think we would love them or hate them, you can tweet at us at ShelfAwareCast or email us ShelfAwareCast at gmail.com. As always, thank you to Ben Cope for the use of our theme song. You can check out his YouTube channel in our show notes below. We're also on all of your favorite podcast aggregating platforms, so if you haven't followed or subscribed to us on one of those, you definitely should, because if you don't, I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to sit there in your favorite chair in your house, and I'm going to read this book aloud to you. <laughs> you will not be allowed to leave. If you use Apple Podcasts, we'd very much appreciate a five-star review, but if you don't, that's all right, because you are allowed to talk about us anywhere on the internet you like. In the words of Donna Van Leer, I couldn't remember the last time I'd made scrambled eggs, but with the exception of overcooking them a bit, they turned out okay. What do you... What? <laughs> What do you eat for breakfast? <laughs> I mean, I know eggs aren't the only thing people eat, but just like to act like scrambled eggs are fucking foreign food. <laughs> like, I don't understand the concept of scrambled eggs. Have I done it correctly? <laughs> also, there's basically only one thing that you can do to fuck up scrambled eggs, which is overcooking, overcooking them. them. So like, 
Yeah, you, I guess aside from the one thing, they turned out okay. <laughs> you done goof, Patricia. <laughs> Okay, I'm recording. I am as well. Who should start? Welcome back, Literary Slummers. I forgot how our intro goes. You should start. (laughs) Good, good. (laughs) That solves that. Perfect, perfect podcast episode right at the gate. Welcome back, Literary Slummers, to another episode of Shelf Aware, the podcast where we talk about... No, (laughs) I fucked it up. All right, my turn. Okay, my you turn. go. Whoever gets it right okay. first. Okay, 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 okay. Welcome back, literaries. Okay, my turn. <laughs> Welcome back, literary slummers, to another episode of Shelf Aware, the podcast where we read books outside of our comfort zone. I emphasize that for a reason unbeknownst to our listeners. I'm Anna. <laughs> and I'm Em. <laughs> 